Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Thank you, church, for singing out this morning. I I love that old hymn, Be Thou My Vision. And I want to ask that you would join me in praying that, that he, our king, would be our vision as we dive into God's word this morning. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we ask that you would remind us that you have called us together uh, to be yours, Lord, to be on mission. And God, you have accomplished what is necessary for that to happen uh, through Christ and, and through what we are going to consider this morning from your word. And Lord, we, we too often settle for a vision that is far too small. God, you, you sent Christ on a rescue mission to, to rescue uh, the world, to save and redeem people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation. And Lord, you've given us lips to speak of your goodness. God, you've changed us from the inside out. From those who delighted in sin to those who now delight to say that we were sinners far from God. And Jesus makes all the difference. God, we want you to be our vision today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing in there. Our series in the book of Acts, we, we started Acts very recently. Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26 is where we're going to be. And as we break into this text, I, I sort of want to remind you of where we were last week in verse 14. Jesus uh, has ascended and the 11 remaining apostles are praying in Jerusalem along with the women and Mary and Jesus' brothers as they await the promise of the Father, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to be clear, the Holy Spirit isn't absent, right? The Holy Spirit is God. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it doesn't mean that He wasn't there. This is a a spatial way of communicating a relational reality, right? So the coming of the Spirit means that that God is going to open up the ability for His apostles and the early church to be aware and vitally connected to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's God, So the Holy Spirit was not absent, he was just not known and and related to. This is is important because sometimes we, in our heads, think of the Spirit as like absent from creation or something. Eh, The Holy Spirit's there. So Jesus has ascended, but he's not inaccessible. They're they're in community, praying together. Uh, He has brought this fledgling community of followers together, and and now they, they are addressing him in prayer. Jesus has spoken to his apostles for 40 days after his resurrection about the kingdom of God. He's now ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns in righteousness and he holds the entire created order together, Colossians 1.17 tells us. And we see early in the pages of Acts, he's ordering the lives of his followers through his words. What did he say? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. What did they do? They went to Jerusalem to await the promise of the Father. But it's not just the words that Jesus spoke in those last 40 days that are ordering the lives of his apostles. It's also the words that he spoke 
in his earthly ministry, and as we're going to see in the text today, the words that he spoke in the Old Testament. Because all of this is the word of Christ, right? Some of you might have a Bible that has red letters in it. Did you know that the black letters are also the words of Jesus? Because Jesus is God. He's the author of all of it, right? So every single one of these words is the word of Christ, even those that we find in the Old Testament. So Jesus had promised in his earthly ministry, he had promised his apostles that there would be 12 of them. Now, in last week's message, we saw all the apostles named, and there was one that was missing, and you know who he is, it's Judas, because Judas is dead. We're going to read about that momentarily. But he had promised his apostles, look, in the new world, did you know Jesus is coming again, he's making all things new? There'll be a redeemed creation without sin. Things will function as they were originally designed to, to function. Jesus promised them in Matthew 19, 28, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In Luke, even after Jesus predicts Judas's betrayal, Jesus says this, I assign to you, speaking to his apostles, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke chapter 22. In Revelation, John tells us that in the new Jerusalem, the wall of the city has twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, but we have a problem. There's only 11 apostles. And yet, despite Jesus' foreknowledge of Judas's betrayal, he tells us that there will be a foundational role for the 12. So we only have in Acts 1 so far the 11, but Jesus has promised you're, there's going to be a role for the 12, which, which raises a question for us. Why 12? I mean, couldn't Jesus have accomplished the expanse of the kingdom to the ends of the earth through 11 apostles? Surely he could have, right? I mean, he's, he's God. Or, when we read the text in just a moment, we're going to find there's two qualified candidates to replace Judas, so why not just go with a baker's dozen, right? Why not 13? But clearly the text is telling us, no, it had to be 12. Not 11, not 13, but 12. And the answer to this question, as Marita writes, is this. Jesus had 12 apostles corresponding to the 12 sons of Jacob, the tribal leaders of Israel. For Peter, the apostolic number of 12 had to be restored as the foundational leadership of true Israel needed to be complete. Marita continues, by filling Judas's office of apostle, the church was acknowledging and valuing the special role of the apostles as this foundational community for the kingdom of God to overspread the globe. So before the Spirit would come upon the twelve leaders of God's people, we needed to have a twelfth apostle. We had to figure out who this would be. The Spirit would not just empower them individually, but as an, an apostolic ministry guarding, safeguarding the truth once and forever d deposited and given to the church. 
And, and in this moment, when Judas has gone off the scene, and there's only 11 and not 12, there are really two questions that need to be answered, and they're answered by the text we're going to read today. The first question is this, what does what happened with Judas say about us and about God? Can you imagine being one of the 11 apostles? Judas was there and like, okay, Jesus selected Judas to be on our team, but he's clearly not on our team anymore. So what does that say about me? Am I, am I going to be a Judas? Uh, what does that say about Jesus? Like, why did he pick Judas? Couldn't he have just picked some other guy? And secondly, once we resolve the first question, well, who's going to take Judas's place? Those, those are sort of the two questions that are answered in sort of the first half and then the second half of what we'll read. So would you hear with me uh, the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 15, and we'll continue down through verse 26. And, and would you today, in honor of the reading of God's word, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I might get excited and preach longer than I should, so at least you get to stretch your legs for a second, all right? Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now, this man acquired a field. This is, this is Luke inserting sort of a parenthetical thought in the middle of what Peter was saying. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong. He burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. I've titled this sermon, The Twelve. You could add a subtitle, Decision Making in the Will of God. I, I was joking with Paul last night that you could maybe title it, When It's Okay to Flip a Coin. The first... Question, we'll get there momentarily, but in, in verses 15 through 20, the first half of verse 20, we're answering this first question. What does what has happened with Judas say about us? What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about God? 
And what Peter wants us to know is that we've got to understand that the defection and the death of Judas did not deviate from God's plan. Now this is interesting because there's a lot of questions that we might want to ask about this, but the Bible only supplies some of the answers. And the answer that's most important to Peter and to the gospel writers is this, or to the biblical writers is this, God didn't mess up. God knew full well what he was doing, and he was not surprised by the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus. In verse 15, Peter stood up to speak among the company of approximately 120 believers. Now that number 120 is relatively small compared to the number of believers we'll see by the end of Acts 2. There are going to be 3,000 added to their number. And so Luke tells us about this small number so that we'll appreciate the dramatic growth of the church. But some biblical theologians also suggest, while they're looking for a replacement apostle to make it 12, that interestingly, the number 120 divided by 12 is what? Is that, is that still 10? I think. I didn't, I didn't sleep well last night, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but So 10 is a biblical number for completion, right? 7 and 10 are both biblical numbers of, of perfection or of completion. So signifying potentially that when we get the 12th apostle, we're going to reconstitute, if you will, the 12 tribes and they will be complete because they'll each have a representation of, of 10. So whether or not that is what Luke is thinking, I'm not certain, but I think it's a, an interesting thought in light of the emphasis on getting to the 12th apostle. So for now, in, in those days, the Bible tells us in verse 15, the days between the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father and the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, in between those times, Peter has something to say to the apostles and to the believers who are gathered with him. And notice in verse 15, he, he does what any good preacher does. He stood up to say it. Uh, what, that's one of the early indicators I had that God might be calling me to pastoral ministry. I can't learn anything or think unless I'm standing up. It's the craziest thing. It drove my parents nuts. I remember in fifth grade, I was studying for a, an exam on the Civil War. And uh, my mom's like, what are you doing? And I'm walking around reciting my notes to myself. She's like, could you just sit down? So anyway, Peter stands up. He's got a, he's got a word for the believers. He, can you imagine if you're one of these 120 believers, by the way? Uh, you've been praying with the apostles. You've been waiting, and, and something just feels a little off. There were, there were 12 apostles, and now there's 11, and it's not like he died of natural causes. It's like the unspoken in the room. That's what Peter is, is speaking into, and they're, they're wondering about how Judas' death impacts Jesus' promise to the 12 apostles. How, how could the 12 have a, a role in eternity as 11? Because 11 isn't 12. And, and if Judas was going to betray Jesus, then why in the world did Jesus pick him in the first place? Judas had been a trusted confidant just a couple months earlier, and, and now he's a dead traitor. What do we make of this? 
And it's in moments like these, when questions are, are rolling through our minds, that you can go back to the Gospels and you can see an omniscient Jesus. He would always be the one to speak up, right? He'd be like, hey, you Pharisees are debating this issue. Well, why are you doing that? That's crazy. And, and Jesus is in heaven, so Jesus isn't there to speak up. So Jesus speaks up through Peter. Which is awesome because Peter had been one to deny Jesus and after denying Jesus, or Jesus predicts that he's going to deny him, he says, but after you deny me, I pray for you that you would have a strong faith and that you would speak up and strengthen the believers. And what is Peter doing? He's answering the prayer of Jesus that we see in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, And he says, brothers, and he doesn't just mean the men in that context, brothers and sisters, all, all y'all. The scripture had to be fulfilled. God's word cannot be broken. In other words, Judas's betrayal of Jesus was according to the plan of God. Yes, he had been numbered among the apostles and allotted a share in their ministry or their service, but he became something different. Verse 16, do you see that? The reason they needed someone to become an apostle is because Judas had become something other than an apostle. What did he become? He had become a guide for those who seized or arrested Jesus. They let him right, he let him right to them. Them right to him. P Peter wants this early band of Jesus followers to understand that Judas's defection did not derail God's plan. Rather, it was a part of the plan of God. God the Holy Spirit told us that it would happen. How did he do this? He did it in the book of Psalms, which in our summer series in the Psalms we're seeing is all about Jesus the Messiah and his victory that comes through a lot of adversity. The Spirit spoke by or through the mouth of David, verse 16, which Peter will then show us in the verses he quotes from the Psalms down in verse 20. But, but first, Luke makes an interjection about Judas, because maybe you don't know who Judas is. Maybe, maybe you didn't read his first gospel. And he doesn't really handle the defection or the death of Judas in his gospel. So, so Luke places it here in Acts. And in verse 18 and 19, he, he interrupts Peter's speech to give his readers a reminder of Judas's demise. And he tells us he fell, and then some gross stuff happened. Right, the, One of the Greek words there actually signifies the sound that was made when, his, when he went splat. Right? I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's what the Bible says. He went splat. I mean, that's kind of the... All right? It's in there. Um, now, now, if you if you are a critical reader of the scriptures, you're thinking, hold on, in Matthew twenty seven five, I, I thought didn't didn't Judas use a rope with a slipknot? Are y'all y'all tracking with me? I thought that's how Judas died. I didn't think he fell and died. And furthermore, didn't he do that after he gave the bribe money back to the chief priest because he did he was. Convicted-ish, but not really. Worldly regret, got not godly sorrow. But he gives the money back, and then he goes and takes his own life. And the answer is yes, you're right. That's exactly what he did. So, but Luke says that Judas bought the field. 
So did Judas buy the field or the chief priest buy the field? Yes. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, Luke is using here a causative use of the verb acquired. He's, he's interested in ultimate causes. In other words, the chief priest would have no field to buy unless Judas had betrayed Jesus and set this in motion. So it's Judas who is still ultimately responsible and ultimately accountable for the things that follow. The field is purchased. A field that is called a field of blood. It's where strangers who have no place to be buried end up being buried. It's there because it was acquired at the purchase price of the blood of Jesus. Judas is the ultimate cause of the purchase of Akeldama, the field of blood, through the chief priests who are mentioned in Matthew chapter 27. The, you say, well, why, why all the gore, right? Like, why did he put that in here? Why didn't he write a kid's version of, of Acts chapter 1? And the graphic description of the demise of Judas is telling us that Luke sees Judas's demise as evidence that he died under divine displeasure. This means that the certainty of God's plan does not absolve us of responsibility for our sin. Scripture could not be broken. It had to be fulfilled. And yet Judas is entirely responsible for his own sin. God is in complete control but Judas is the cause of his own demise. Control and cause are not the same thing. God's in control. Judas is the cause. You say, well, how does all that work out? I don't know. Theologians have debated it for 2,000 years. And when I get to heaven, it's going to be the first seminary class I enroll in. <laughs> Jesus, help me work this out. But I tell you what, people get in online fights and debates about this ad infinitum for no reason whatsoever when we have a gospel of a king who was crucified so that we might spread the gospel to the ends of the earth because there are people who are dying in their sin and they are the cause of their demise and there's a Savior who has come that they might be reconciled to the Father and we got people sitting in online chat rooms debating how to work out the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. I don't know. What I do know is that in the hearing of the gospel and the believing on Christ that people are saved. So stop it and start sharing the gospel. There are people who want to divide churches over this and ignore what we've been commissioned clearly to do. The, the stuff that we do understand, we don't do while we try to figure out what we can't understand. What in the world? Who do we think we are? God is God. And we need God. So stop it. Whoever you are. So, so what happened to Judas? Did he, did he use a rope or did he fall to his death? Yes. Marita summarizes it like this. Judas hanged himself and the rope broke allowing his body to fall onto rocks that disemboweled him. That's a great word, disemboweled him. He went splat. In verse, in verse 20, Peter's speech resumes with the words, It is written. And it's important, right? He says Scripture had to be fulfilled, and then he tells us in verse 20 as his speech resumes, It is written. In other words, God's word can't be broken, and the authority 
for the first community of Jesus followers is the same authority that we have. It is the Bible. It is what has been written. This is not Peter's opinion. He's not coming up with some thought that, oh, here's something you should consider. No, it's in the Bible. And then he quotes from Psalm 69, 25, a a psalm that is frequently used in the New Testament in association with the death of Christ. He quotes from Psalm 69, 25, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. In other words, that field that Judas bought that might have some property on it, no one's going to be living there. He's going to be vacated He's going to be desolate. There's going to be no one to take his place. No, nothing would come along behind Judas to improve his legacy. He would always be the one who was close to Christ and yet betrayed him. The, the pattern of enemies who betray God's king in the Psalms culminate in Judas. And yet God is victorious even over betrayal of his son. So victorious that he actually uses the betrayal to bring about his victory. That's a, that's a God who can kick some backside and take some names. Right? God is in control. He's sovereign. He's, he's over all. This means that what happened with Judas does not undermine or discredit Jesus. It doesn't discredit those who follow him. It doesn't derail his mission. Jesus was betrayed, yes, but Jesus would still have his 12 apostolic witnesses, as we will see. His plan would prevail. Judas will be replaced and the mission will move forward. We need to remember this. We need to keep this in mind when we experience things in our own lives, church, that shake us, that that rattle us. God tells us, look, Judas is the ultimate betrayer, but guess what? Paul says in Acts 20, there's going to be some more betrayers in the church. There's going to be some people that arise within the church. You thought that they were leaders and lovers of Jesus, but they were actually just lurking in the shadows waiting for a moment to strike. There's going to be people that bring heresy into the church from outside, which is why you got to know what the truth is. It's why we have a statement of faith. It's why we have a, a confession. It's why we have a Discover North Roanoke class, because we want you to join North Roanoke, not just so you'll have a name on a roll, but so that you'll be held accountable to the truth of God. And if you deviate from the truth of God, we will lovingly go to you and say, hey, that doesn't align with God's Word. And then you'll say, hey, you're right, I'm coming back into the fold and into the fellowship and if you don't say that we'll say you're not a believer or you're not in fellowship because God's word is God's word this is what church membership is church membership is not joining a church and getting your name on a roll and then not being involved for 25 years and then the phone rings down at the church office and Cindy Clark our office manager says hey so-and-so passed away and I say who in the world is that have they ever been here Well, I don't think so since I've been here. Well, Cindy's been here almost 20 years. That's not church membership. Church membership is accountability and vitality and being locked in life together. It's biblical, by the way, which we'll see next week in Acts 2. The, the point that Peter is making that, that is applicable for all of us, right? The apostles are unique, but the, the principle that we can lay hold of in our lives right now for, and take home with us is, look, when somebody leaves the faith, when, when a leader has a horrible moral failure, when the 
picture-perfect marriage ends in a bitter divorce, when stuff happens that makes us go, what in the world is going on? There's no greater moment or example of that than Judas betraying Jesus. And yet the apostles still had to get with the program and get with the mission and get positioned to be used by God to advance His mission in all the world. So when bad stuff happens, the mission of God still continues. Rather than get disillusioned or discouraged, we instead keep aligning ourselves with God's will and pursuing His work. And we can do this because God is sovereign and He's not surprised when lousy stuff happens. We know our God often does great things even through great and surprising pain. When people fall away from the faith, what does it it do in our lives, in the lives of true believers? It, It clarifies for us how desperate we are to know Him. When people embrace heresy, it clarifies the importance of defining and affirming the truth. When people abandon us, we are reminded there's a Savior who never leaves nor forsakes us. When we are belittled or broken or betrayed, we are reminded that it's nothing that Christ hasn't faced, that He cannot understand, and that in Him we are still victorious and more than conquerors. When we ourselves do things, neglect things, say things, or or think things that grieve the heart of God or hurt His people, Because we're not perfect, are we? When we do these things, we know that Jesus can even use those moments of imperfection, those moments of failure to drive us back to Him and to His Word so that we would seek forgiveness where it's needed and that even in spite of us, God can use our failures to forward the mission of God. What a great God we serve. If God brought victory through the betrayal of His Son, He can surely fortify us, His people, who face adversity in the here and now. But what do we do in those moments that shake us and rattle us, threaten to paralyze us? The the second thing we see in this text comes from the verse 20, second half of verse 20 down through verse 26. We, We see that we must discern and do God's will to advance His mission in the world. We must discern and then do God's will to advance His mission in the world. In the, in the second half of verse 20, Peter quotes from another psalm of David, Psalm 109, verse 8, to suggest that part of God's plan concerning what happened to Judas still needs to be fulfilled, and that is Judas needs to be replaced. The twelve have to be twelve We know from verse 24 that the Lord has chosen Judas' replacement. The language that Peter uses in verse 24, it's as though God has already made the selection. God knows who Judas' replacement is, but he gives these early Christians a role in discerning what he has decided. And it's a very important decision. The office of apostle The word office there means oversight. One who scopes out every detail and looks into everything. This this shared ministry of the oversight of the apostles of the early church would be critical. The apostles would provide the unchanging. Jude chapter 3 says we have a faith that is once and for all delivered to the saints. So the faith that we profess today to the extent that it is true must be the faith that was professed in Acts chapter 1. 
Same faith. The apostles would provide an unchanging and authoritative witness to Jesus according to the Scriptures, which would become the basis of truth upon which God's people would be built and grow and expand to the ends of the earth. So, so what we're considering today is not some minor decision. It is a huge decision. Who's going to be a partner with us in the stewardship of the gospel witness to Jesus Christ? I don't think you can get more significant than that question. Some of you are facing some decisions today, and, and I think there's some principles here that we can glean that, that can be applied even in your own life as you make decisions. We aim to follow God's will in our lives as believers, but not every question that we face in this life is specifically spelled out in Scripture, including the name of Judas's replacement. You'll search in vain in the Old Testament for the name Matthias, the one chosen to replace Judas. You face other questions in life, right? That, that the Bible doesn't give you the specific sentence of what you're supposed to do. If you want to know the identity of the specific person that you're supposed to marry, you're not going to find it in the Bible. Hey God, who am I supposed to marry? I don't know. The Bible does not tell you what your career field is supposed to be. The Bible does not tell you the, the type and age and price of the car that you should purchase. It doesn't answer a host of other important questions within the pages of Scripture. However, even for decisions like these, there's a way that we can make wise decisions that are consistent with God's will. I submit to you that how the apostles proceed can be instructive for us. And the first principle that I want you to get for decision making in the will of God is this. Peter begins with the Bible. So he starts with what the Bible does say. The Bible says in Psalm 109 verse 8 that there would be another to take the office of the betrayer of God's king. So we got to start with that. There's got to be somebody else. If you're struggling to, to discern God's will in your life, let me encourage you as a pastor, start with obeying the clear portions of Scripture. So many people, they, they come for counseling, they've got a call, they've got a problem, and I, and I want to begin with like, well, are you doing the stuff the Bible clearly says you should do? So often we get into problems because we're not doing the clear stuff, and we want to answer the unclear stuff before we answer the clear stuff. I mean, you don't need to pray, you don't need biblical counseling about whether or not God wants you to live a holy life. He wants you to live a holy life. You don't need to pray about whether or not God wants you to participate in gossip. He doesn't want you to gossip. You don't need to pray about, wives, whether you should honor your husbands, or husbands, whether you should love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's spelled out in the Word. You don't need to pray about whether or not you need to teach your children to love and know the Bible as well as they know chemistry, algebra, or anything else you're expecting them to get a good grade in. Because the Bible stands over all that stuff. You don't need to pray about whether or not you should be lovingly involved in the lives of other believers, whether you should be patient and long-suffering with that person that just drives you crazy. You don't need to pray about whether you should be selflessly committed to a local church. You don't need to pray about whether we should care for true widows and orphans and on and on and on. There's a lot of stuff in the Bible that's already spelled out that we don't need to pray about. We just need to do it. 
And I submit to you this, you start doing the clear, then the unclear suddenly becomes much more clear. Peter understands that doing God's will means starting with God's word. And then in verse 21, he says, so or therefore. In other words, we're going to obey what God's word says. God's word says there needs to be a replacement. It doesn't tell me who the replacement is. So, therefore, we're going to figure out who the replacement is. Because Judas, in verse 16, became a betrayer according to the plan of God. Someone else must become, verse 22, a witness with us according to the plan of God. But not anyone can just fill this role. Peter gives us some criteria for being one of the twelve. First, the God's chosen apostle had to be one of the men who was with the apostles while they were with Jesus. Second, he had to be a man who was with the apostles, do you see it in verse 21, during all the time that they were with Jesus from the time of his baptism to the time of his ascension. And this period of time would have included the resurrection of Jesus, and yet in verse 22, Peter emphasizes the resurrection. Because the resurrection is going to be the basis of the message. It's going to stand at the center of the preaching of the apostles and the church, as we will see throughout the book of Acts. So they had to be with the apostles the whole time of Jesus' public ministry, and they had to be witnesses to the resurrection in order to be one of the twelve. Which is what distinguishes Paul from the twelve. Is Paul an apostle? Yes. But is he one of the twelve? No, because he was not a witness with the twelve of the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. One reason we struggle in the not as clear decisions of life is because we ignore what God has made clear. But the apostles are committed here to getting it right, to searching the scriptures, and to applying biblical criteria in this moment. That is what the first believers did, and, and they, as they applied these God-given criteria, two candidates emerge for one post. Joseph called Barsabbas, which means son of Sabbath, and Matthias. And the apostles did what we should do when we see multiple options that, sh- that could be within the, the will of the Lord. Let me say that again. The apostles did what we should do when we have multiple options that could be within the Lord's will. Do you see it in verse 24? What did they do? They prayed. God's word says this. The criteria from the King of glory who's taught us over 40 days are these. We're going to apply those criteria. We got two guys for one office. What do we do? We're going to pray about it. It's a good, it's a good protocol, right? You, you're trying to figure out something to do in your life. Does God want me to take this job or go to this college? What does God's word say? What are the appropriate biblical criteria? And then you pray about it. Specifically, they, they asked the Lord to show them the man that he had already chosen. The, get this. When they went to God in prayer, they were not trying to persuade God of what they wanted. They were instead asking God what He had decided. That kind of changes how we pray, doesn't it? When you, when you go to prayer and you have a decision to make, and, you, and rather than saying, God, I'd really like this option, God, you show me what you want. They came to Him humbly, desiring to know His desires. When we come to a crossroads and we don't know what God desires. We, like the apostles, should pray for the Lord to show us 
His will. We should pursue God's will with a kingdom mindset. Why do the apostles want to know God's will? It's because they want to be positioned to do God's work. So, so if you're following the flow of the message here in this second point, and you're trying to seek God's will in your life, first thing, does the Bible say something clearly about it? If it does, just do it. Second thing, does the Bible give me some categories that I should be thinking through in making this decision? What are they? Well, you know, um, I, I've known some students who claim to be believers, and I'm like, hey, where are you going to college? How are you, how are you deciding where you, where you want to go to college? And I've, I've had some come to me and say, well, I'm just looking for a good party life. And I'm like, huh. I, I'm trying to figure out where that biblical criteria was in your matrix of decision making. And unless you turn around and say, because I want to have a chance to share the gospel all the time, then that's probably not a list of criteria that you should have when you're making your decision, right? So, so what does God's Word say? What are the appropriate biblical criteria to this question? Have I prayed about it? And then here's another factor. What of these options will best prepare me or position me to be a part of advancing God's kingdom in the world? Man, it could be this one, it could be this one, it could be this one. Which one is going to give you the best opportunity to prepare, prepare to or to promote the glory of God in all the earth. I'll tell you what, you work through that in your decision making, it'll clarify a lot of things for you. Notice that the apostles and the 120 most likely pray to the Lord Jesus as the one who knows the hearts of all, verse 24. This is a, an appeal to the omniscience of Jesus. Jesus knows our hearts and the hearts of others involved in any decision we take before Him. In this case, He knows how both Joseph and Matthias are going to be tested by the assignment of apostleship. The Lord knew every possible relationship and conversation and sermon of which either Matthias or Joseph would have been a part. What a comfort to know, church, that when we don't know God's specific will, we can know and pray to the one who knows the hearts of all, and we can trust that He will lead for His glory and the advance of His mission in all the world. Church, we need, to, we need to pray like this in our own lives. In a room this size and over in the gym and online, I know that there are people facing some big decisions today. And the question is, will you take it to the Word? Will you apply the relevant biblical criteria? Will you pray and will you trust Jesus to do what is best for your heart and for the hearts of others that will be involved in this decision? The role of taking the place of Judas is of massive importance. He had such a, a vital place, but instead, do you see it in verse 25? There's a play on words there. We need somebody to take the place of the one who turned aside to go to his own place. And it's not a good place that Judas went to. The, the pressures and the temptations of apostolic ministry would be huge. The opportunity to serve self rather than the Savior had already been proven through Judas. And now in this moment with two qualified candidates after obeying the word and applying the biblical criteria and praying, what more can they do? They cast lots. They flipped a coin. This is the last time that we'll see lots cast in all the scriptures because the Spirit of God is going to come in Acts chapter 2. And when you've got the Holy Spirit, you don't need to cast lots because the Spirit gives you a church family and a community to help you discern His will together. But in this moment, 
They marked a stone, they put it in a jar, and Matthias' lot fell out, and Matthias became an apostle. And to be sure, we don't cast lots now to make decisions, but it was an accepted Old Testament practice. Psalm 16, excuse me, Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. And I'll say this to you. If you're facing a decision in life, and you've gone to God's Word, you've applied the biblical criteria, you've prayed about it, you've asked God to reveal your heart in the matter, you've told God you want to do whatever it takes that His kingdom would advance no matter what it costs you, and you still don't have the answer, and then you've prayed some more and talked to Christian advisors and counselors, and they're kind of like, well, I could see either one, then you know what? Flip a coin. Just do it. Just move forward for the glory of God. Don't be paralyzed by your analysis. Do something in the kingdom of God. In this case, the Lord's will has been discerned, and the circle of twelve is complete. Peterson says this, There could be no witness to the ends of the earth until all the restored Israel, represented by the twelve, had been identified and readied to receive the Spirit at Pentecost. The betrayal and death of Judas will not stop God's work. Now the apostles have discerned His will, and as we're going to see next week, God will give them His power to do His will. So how about us? Are you preparing to serve in God's mission? Are you letting some betrayal or some distraction from your past or in the lives of people around you, prevent you from moving forward in the clear will of God for every Christian? As you face major decisions, are you letting God's Word supply the questions that you should ask? And now that the Spirit has come, are you praying through biblical principles in the Spirit's power, seeking counsel from brothers and sisters, or, and maintaining your focus on the priority of the mission of God in all the world? Or are you focused on something less? This morning, I don't know what decision you face, and I don't know where you are, but I I submit in a room of this size that there are some who need to get back to the basics of saying, I'm going to do the clear will of God in my life. Say, I'm struggling, I'm afraid, I'm falling apart, I don't understand this depression and despair in my life, I don't know what's going on. Start with obedience to Christ who has made known His will in His Word. And then there are others of you who who say, well, I'm endeavoring to do that, but there's this, this big moment in my life. Ask God, God, what is going to lead to the greatest amount of preparation or proclamation of the glory of God in all the earth, in my life, in my family, through my church, and to the ends of the world? God will bring clarity in your life. Some of you this morning say, I I don't know how to do any of that because I don't know this Savior yet. But I sure would like to have a king who will guide me safely and securely. Who will lead me out in the greatest mission ever to tell other people how they can be saved. I'm telling you, if you don't know this king, by the power of the Holy Spirit who meets us in the preaching of his word. He will lead you to a Savior. He will unite you with Him and give you a peace that surpasses all understanding and a mission and a power like you have never known. If you don't know this King this morning, as I invite our instrumentalists to come, trust Him today. Don't put it off one more day. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Trust King Jesus today. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we need you.
we thank you for the example that we've considered from your word today of decision making in the will of God. We thank you that both Matthias and Joseph were, were ready, God. For three years, they walked alongside of the disciples and God, you, you never called their name or their number. But when Judas betrayed you, there was someone ready because they were faithful to you all along. God, they loved you. They wanted to be with you. They wanted to see you magnified. And God, then there was someone ready to take the place of Judas. And God, I, I wonder if, if there's someone in the room today who, who maybe they feel overlooked or ignored or sidelined in their walk with Christ. And, and they wonder, God, do you have a special role for me? Do you have a, a place for me? God, I pray that you might speak to their heart today and say, just be faithful. Just keep loving. Just keep looking to the Savior. And God, that you would show them in your kindness and your grace what you have for them in the advance of your kingdom to the ends of the earth. And God, for those who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, God, let today be the day. Whatever they're hanging on to, whatever fear that they have, Spirit of God, I pray that you would break in and take control and make them a child of God today as we stand together and sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.